Good morning and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to the mothers and soon-to-be mothers out there. Will you please stand with me and read responsively the call to worship in your bulletin. Let us worship God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Let us worship God as Christ's ambassadors. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for a beautiful day to celebrate all the goodness that you have brought into our lives. Thank you for all the mothers and those other women in our lives that have touched us in ways that have made us better people. Be with us today as we worship you and spend time with our families. In the Lord's name we pray, amen.
Amen. What a great joy to sing the praises of God and to join together in doing so. We do want to welcome all of you here today, especially those of you who may be guests this morning, and I do want to add my happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Share a word of greeting with others who are here before you're seated. There are just a couple of things I want to uh, mention to you in your bulletins. Uh, this coming Saturday morning, we're going to uh, have our annual work day here at the church. Love to have you come for as little or as much time as you can. Uh, the, there's been a promise about donuts, so if that's an incentive that helps you want to come, uh, let that be your incentive. Uh, but we're going to try to mainly be working outside and to try to, uh, to do some big projects around the church, and we appreciate your help if you're able to give some time. It's also a great time to connect with some people you might not know or you might not have opportunity to visit with. Uh, No one's a slave driver about working continually. We do like the fellowship and the conversations that go on as well during the work time. Uh, Next Sunday night, uh, next Sunday morning, is our election and approval of the budget, and there's information on the back table about both of those. There's a copy of the budget. You can feel free to pick up, take with you, and also a booklet with pictures and some uh, brief biographical information about all the people who are on the ballot. Uh, Be in prayer this week about uh, both of those, and then we'll be voting next Sunday morning before and after each of the worship services. And next Sunday evening is our uh, vision gathering, and uh, the dessert and vision gathering will be meeting in the whoops, we're meeting in the community room, and uh, we would love to have you be a part of that. It's a time where we hear a few stories about uh, next year, about this past year's uh, events, and also think about the future and uh, where we're headed as a church, and your input in that is valued and welcome. It doesn't matter if you're a member or not, uh, how, doesn't matter how long or brief time you've attended here. If, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that gathering uh, in the community room next Sunday night. And I also wanted to mention something that's not in your bulletins. Uh, we have pretty much completed the office remodel. Uh, there's a few little things here and there that we still want to do, but pretty much done. And so after the service this morning, we're going to have a brief dedication time, uh, maybe five minutes or ten minutes or so. I'd give you a chance to look through the offices areas if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. And uh, we'd love to have you stay just going over to the offices and we will uh, we'll do the dedication right after this service. Please join me in the uh, prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful God... We confess that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Fill us with a desire to want you to change what we are and to direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways 
to the glory of your holy name. Amen.
The Old Testament scripture reading this morning can be found in Psalm 51. Hear the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward, please stand and sing the doxology. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts for the abundance of blessings which you have so graciously given. Thank you for opportunities like this to be grateful and give from our hearts. Let the giving of our tithes and offerings be a symbol of our gratitude. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
As we spend some time praying together, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for the gift of family. We recognize that families come in all shapes and sizes. And quite frankly, our families exist with varying degrees of success. This morning, we want to thank you for the gift of people who have nurtured us and cared for us and loved us. Father, we know that no family is perfect. And so we pray that you will help us. Help us to be parents who love our children and lead our children to Christ in all that we do. Help us to be children who love our parents in the spirit of Christ's love in all that we do. Father, we pray that as siblings and other kinds of family connections, grandchildren, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, friends, in all of our relationships, help us to know your grace and mercy. Help us to be people who love and forgive, people who are known for our kindness and our mercy. Help us to respect one another and to honor one another and to want nothing more than what is best for each other. Father, we pray for the needs of many who are among us today. We think of all who are grieving today. We pray for Judy Maley and her family, for Carol Castor and her family as both of them have experienced the deaths of their fathers this week. We pray for your comfort in their pain and their loss. Father, we also pray for all who are grieving today, maybe over a death or the various ways in which grief comes to us. Perhaps for some, this day of celebration is anything but. We pray for your comforting presence in the midst of pain or loss, grief. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We pray especially today for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman, Bev Retz, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, for Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and for others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we pray for our world. So many needs. So many needs in our world. We think of the people in Nepal. Devastating images of destruction and death. Grief and pain and loss. 
It's difficult for our minds to comprehend. We pray that your spirit would be evident in the midst of all of this destruction and pain. We pray that your church would be a a presence of hope when most people may be feeling despair. Father, we pray for the nations of the world where war is commonplace and ask that you would bring peace. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who live and worship in places of the world where they are not free to gather. They are persecuted in a variety of ways, threatened, some even put to death. Protect them. Watch over them. Help them to know your presence with them. We pray that you will give them such courage that they are a beacon of hope and light even toward those who persecute them. And Father, as we hear their stories, as we think about their lives, may their experiences and their faithfulness inspire us about our faithfulness. Father, thank you for this day of worship. Thank you for the risen Christ that changes everything. Let the truth and the power of the risen risen Christ be the purpose and motivation of our lives this day and every day. And it's in the name of our risen Savior that we pray with the joy and confidence of resurrection people, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out and could not pull it back in.
Jesus loved said to Peter It is the Lord When Peter heard that it was the Lord he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken his clothes off and jumped into the water The other disciples came to shore in the boat pulling the net full of fish They were not very far from land about a hundred yards away When they stepped ashore they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Cut. And eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Son, son of John, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, You know everything. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. I am telling you the truth. When you were young, used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you up and take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die and bring glory to God. Then Jesus said to him, Follow me. Peter turned round and saw behind him that other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had leaned close to Jesus at the meal and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, 
Lord, what about this man? If I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So a report spread among the followers of Jesus that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He said, if I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? He is the disciple who spoke of these things, the one who also wrote them down. And we know that what he said is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down one by one, I suppose that the whole world could not hold the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. This may come as a surprise to you, but none of us are perfect. Now, there are people in our lives, I suspect, who might want us to think they're perfect. And sometimes we like to think that we're perfect, but none of us are perfect. And because none of us are perfect, we wrestle with failure. We wrestle with sin. And often, our scorecard doesn't look all that good. And consequently, because of our struggle with failure and sin, we also struggle with guilt. And there are some traditions of the church that promote guilt more than others. But we all wrestle with guilt. We all know the times when we've fallen short of what we intended to do. We know the times when we have hurt people and we've disappointed people. The times when we have rebelled against God and we have been in direct disobedience to him. We know the times when we've come to situations and instead of making them better, we've made them worse. And in our sensitive moments, we can be overwhelmed with a sense of guilt. And in those moments, we're wondering, what does this mean about my relationship with God? What is God going to do with that? I've been struggling with this sin for a long time. I can't get over it. How, often, how long till God's going to say, okay, that's it. I've had enough. What does God really want from us in those moments? What is God really going to do in those moments? How does he think about us and feel about us? What does he want from us? Is he really going to give up on us? And if you haven't had that experience, I have. And when I read this section of John's gospel, I am convinced Peter does. I kind of like the way they start this this chapter on the video. Peter is distraught. He's agonizing over the denial of Jesus that he has committed a few weeks before. We don't know exactly when this event takes place. Uh, Jesus has appeared twice to the disciples, once the night of his resurrection, again a week later. Now it seems as though some time has elapsed and they're waiting for Jesus to appear again. And they wait and wait and wait. And you can almost see on Peter's face, maybe Jesus isn't coming and it's all my fault. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And they go out. And what we find is as this story unfolds, is that even though Jesus has every right to turn his back on Peter, as Peter has turned his back on Jesus, Jesus refuses to do that. Despite Peter's denials, Jesus will not give up on him. And I'm convinced Jesus won't give up on us either. And if we don't have that hope, I don't know what we have. 
Now, getting us to the place of forgiveness and restoration and healing because of our sin and the guilt and the struggles that we have is, doesn't happen overnight. It's a bit of a process. I think what we would like and what we tend to do when, we're, when we think about our guilt is we tend to respond to it in one of two ways. Either we just beat ourselves up. We are just berating ourselves. I am such a terrible person. I, I'm, I'm so bad. You sort of get that sense from Peter as he's waiting there. And it's certainly what you sense from Peter when the rooster crows. And our mantra is, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. And we spend our days, every time the guilt comes up, we just beat ourselves down. The other way we respond is to basically run from our guilt. We live in denial. Often our denial is, it takes the form of busyness. I think a lot of our, the busyness of our lives is about denial. And some of that busyness is about denial about relation, our relationship with God. I think that's one of the reasons why when we pray, we do a lot more talking than listening. Because if we talk to God, he doesn't have time to talk to us. If all we do is talk to God, then there are no moments when God can put his finger on that thing in our lives that needs to be dealt with. But we don't want to deal with it. So if we just keep talking, if we just keep busy, then we don't have to think about it. And we don't have to be confronted by Jesus. But the reality is, denial is not a spiritual discipline. Sometimes we think it is, but it's not. And we don't solve anything with denial. Now, Granted, sometimes it takes some time for us to come to the place where we're ready to deal with things. But that's different than denial. And I sense Peter wrestling with both of these emotions as, he's, as he comes up on the shore and he busies himself with the fish and all the things that he's doing. And he can't, you know, he's, he's just almost over the top with Jesus. And in the midst of this scene, Jesus singles out Peter because he wants to confront Peter's sin in order to restore it. And Jesus does that, not by denial, not by, not by beating Peter up, but by a subtle way and a more overt way. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that there are, no, there are no coincidences about what's in Scripture and what's not. When you get to the end of John's Gospel, he says, I suppose if we wrote down everything that we could about Jesus, there wouldn't be enough room in the world for all the books. And yet, what we have is just this small bit of information, to be honest with you, when you compare it. And it tells us that everything in the scripture has a purpose. Everything in the scripture has a reason. There is nothing coincidental. There are no, there are no throwaway lines in the scriptures. And that's in my mind as I read this passage. And, and I discover that there are only, there are only two times... That the word, that the Greek word that means charcoal fire is used in all the New Testament. Once is here as they gather around on the shore. 
And the other is in John 18, as Peter warms himself around a charcoal fire outside the home of the high priest. And one of the people there says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, no. Are you sure you're not one of his disciples? No. I think you're one of his disciples. I don't even know the man. You know, smell is one of the most, uh, one of the greatest trigger points of memory. Whenever I walk into a kind of a damp, musty type uh, basement in a building, my mind transports back to the Sunday school class in the basement of the Pilgrim Holiness Church in Mitchell, Indiana. I'm eight years old once again, sitting in the Sunday school class, smelling that. Whenever I, I, I smell freshly cut wood, I'm transported back to the sawmill where I worked when I was in college. And it's not because I see a two by four, it's because I smell the, the, the wood being cut by the saw that, that was just a part of life working at that sawmill. And eight hours a day, you smell the, that, the, that wood being cut by saws all over the place. And every time I smell that, I think about that sawmill. And, my, and, I, and it's not just in my mind, it's with my emotions too. It's not a coincidence that Jesus created, John tells us Jesus starts a charcoal fire when Peter comes up on the shore. But he doesn't do that to sort of rub Peter's face in it. This is actually an act of grace. You think about it. Peter's going to spend the rest of his life smelling charcoal fires. Right? I mean, it's a part of, of, of their world. He's going to smell charcoal fires all the time. And Jesus, I think, is saying to him, let's turn this negative memory into a positive one. Instead of this triggering guilt, how about if it triggers grace? And Jesus is always doing that with us. And there are so many things that we struggle with because Jesus is putting things into our lives that causes us to face the stuff that we have to deal with and the things that we would rather ignore. But he's not doing it to make us feel more guilty. He's doing it to offer us grace. And to say, look, let's change that memory Let's turn this memory into something that causes you to feel my love instead of your own guilt. When we read Psalm 51 this morning. This is David's lament after he is confronted about his sin with Bathsheba. David doesn't feel guilt only when Nathan comes and says, you're the man. David feels guilt from the first moment. When Nathan comes and says, David, you're the man, now that guilt can be fixed. Now what David deals with is no longer guilt, but now it's grace. But until it's confronted and named and dealt with, we're going to live with this, with this underlying sense of guilt all of our lives. But Jesus also confronts Peter more overtly as, as they are maybe sitting around the fire as they are there. Or I always imagine them taking a walk, the two of them. But he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
Now, it seems like an innocuous question, except that Jesus doesn't let it go. Peter say, he says, do you love me? He says, Lord, do you know I love you? And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, do you know I love you? Peter, do you love me? And John says, when he asked him the third time, Peter was hurt. Now, you could interpret that as, come on, how many times do you have to ask me? I gave you an answer. I love you. But I, and there's a lot of theories about what exactly is going on here. The, the verbs are different. And, but I think it comes down to this. When Jesus asks him the third time, it is a reminder of Peter denying Jesus three times. And I think Peter gets that. And again, his response is, Jesus, what are you doing to me here? Can't we just pretend like that didn't happen and move on? No, because I don't want you living with these thoughts in the back of your mind. I'm not exactly sure how Jesus thinks about me. And until this is dealt with, until it's addressed, you can't know that. But once it is addressed, then Jesus can communicate grace to Peter. And sometimes Jesus challenges us about the failures and the sins of our lives. And again, we'd rather ignore it. But Jesus won't let us. Because ignoring it doesn't lead to healing. Ignoring it leads to deeper guilt. More frustration and despair. Confronting it. Addressing it. Dealing with it. Is what leads us to victory. And peace. And restoration. But there is a little bit more nuance to Jesus' question. It's, it, it, the first question is actually, do you love me more than these? And again, scholars debate, what is the these? What does that mean? In this video, they interpreted it for us. Do you love me more than these guys love me? That's a hard question to answer. Unless you go around the room and say, okay, how much do you love Jesus? I love him more. If that is the interpretation, I think maybe it takes us back to John chapter uh, 13, where Jesus says to the disciples, look, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And Peter says, why can't we follow you? And Jesus says, look, you don't understand. You can't follow me. And Peter puffs out his chest and said, look, Jesus, I don't know about these losers, but I will follow you to the end. I'll give my life for you because I love you probably more than those guys do. And Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you a little story about a rooster that's going to crow. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love these guys? I know you guys have bonded over the years. Yeah, you argue, but that's what friends do. And I know you guys are important to each other. And if over the last few weeks you have bonded even more and you care deeply for each other. And I'm so glad. I want you to be bonded together. But do you love me more than you love them? You know, on this day when we celebrate family, it's important for us to keep family in perspective. Family is important. It's a gift of God and we love each other and we give ourselves to each other. But ultimately, we can never truly love each other until we love Jesus first. 
And maybe his question is, do you love me more than you love this stuff? More than you love fishing. The thrill of catching fish, the knowing that, that fishing is going to provide you with a pretty comfortable living. Do you love me more than you love all of this stuff? Whatever it is, it boils down to, am I first in your life? Peter, am I your first love? Does everything else, all other loves revolve around your love for me? Or are these other things more important? And every one of us is challenged about that. It's priorities. See, Jesus isn't just concerned about taking care of what we've done. He's concerned about how we live from that point on. And and only when our priorities begin to be his priorities will we find that maybe we fail a little bit less. We give in to sin a little bit less because our focus is in the right place. It's not enough to say, all right, we've taken care of the past, now do what you want. We've taken care of the past, now let's live together in the joy and peace and grace of the future. He's always moving us toward that end. And and you and I are continually wrestling with priorities. And all kinds of good things come at us. For followers of Jesus, probably the stuff we wrestle with is not, you know, it's not horrendous evil. It's just stuff that becomes more important to us than Jesus is. It makes me wonder if maybe at the heart of Peter's struggle, at the heart of this question about priorities and about, about whether he's going to love Jesus the way Jesus wants to be, is that... Peter's view of who Jesus is needs to change. And instead of Peter embracing his view of who Jesus is and who he wants Jesus to be, he surrenders that to who Jesus says he is. I mean, really, when you look at the heart of Peter's denial, it's centered around the cross. It's centered around what Jesus says to the disciples of this is how I'm going to change the world. Not with swords, not with power, not with might, not with wealth, not with great influence on people. I'm going to change the world by being vulnerable. I'm going to change the world by surrendering myself, sacrificing myself. I'm going to change the world by going to the cross. And that's not the image Peter's looking for. That's the image we're not looking for. What we want from Jesus is that he would shape what he does to our image. We want Jesus to to be shaped in the image that we have created. And it typically isn't vulnerability and weakness and surrender and sacrifice and a cross. Because quite frankly, we look around the world and we wonder, is it really working? Because, Lord, the strategies of the world, that's how you get things done. You make a difference in this world by power, by influence. You make a difference in this world by doing to the world what the world is doing to you. That's how you get things done. 
And Jesus says, that's not my kingdom. That's not how it works. And ultimately, if Jesus is first place for us, if he is our first love, it is going to mean that we don't just surrender to who Jesus says he is, but we embrace it. We want it. With every part of our being, we want Jesus to be who he says he is in our lives and in the world. I I think that's a great deal of what it means for Jesus to be first. To love him. Not the way we want him to be, but the way he is. And to give in to our desires for what we want him to be. And it's hard. Especially when Jesus may call us to some things that he might not call other people to. It's one of the most numerous parts of the whole story when Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach and he says, you know, Peter, here's the deal. When you get to the end of your life, you're going to be in chains. It's going to be hard. You're going to be, it's going to be a, a difficult end. And Peter's mind is racing and he looks around at John and says, okay, but what about him? If I have to go through this, shouldn't he have to go through it too? I mean, let's be fair, Jesus. Right? I mean, we say those things. Lord, why do I have to suffer this way? Why, why can't I be the one who gets recognition? Why can't I be the one who gets ahead? Why do I have to struggle and they don't have to? And the secret is Jesus doesn't answer Peter. And he often doesn't answer us. All he says is, Peter, you let me worry about John. You got enough to do to worry about yourself. Follow me. Follow me. And that's the call on our lives. And when Jesus says, follow me, it's, it's a word that means to continue. Keep on following me. It's not just starting the journey and then kind of doing our own thing and veering off, but it is a life that is committed to being with Jesus. Follow me. Follow me today. Follow me tomorrow. Follow me through the times that we like and the times that we don't. Follow me when life is going the way I want it to and when it's not. Follow me when you fail and when you succeed. Follow me. It's not just a command. It's really an offer of grace. Because Jesus could have said to them, follow me, and if you mess up, that's it. He just says, follow me. Come on, follow me. And what we have to understand is that when we follow Jesus, it's going to be a winding, twisting, curving, hilly road. And some of it will be awesome, some of it not so much. But the one constant we have is that we are following the risen Christ. And the risen Christ is in control. The risen Christ has conquered and we know that the way of Christ has won. And while it may be dangerous and it may be difficult we do know that following the risen Christ is always good and right. 
And it leads us to the end that deep inside we are yearning to reach. And what fascinates me is that in the end of all of this, Jesus says to him, Peter, I am giving you responsibility for my church. Tend my sheep. Watch the flock. Take care of them. Wow, what a trusting thing for Jesus to do. I mean, Peter's still in in transition here, and yet Jesus entrusts him with the ministry, with the church, with people in need. It's a lot more trusting than we tend to be. But that's who Jesus is. We don't have to be perfect before he trusts us. We just have to want what he wants. We just have to say, my goal is to follow you. And he lets us be channels of blessing and grace and mercy to other people. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be the kind of church that, that instead of Instead of creating an atmosphere, as someone has said, where we're sort of a a museum for people who are perfect. We're a hospital for people who are honestly following. Sometimes the church gives the impression that this is a place for people who are perfect. And we walk in and we see people encased in glass all along the walls of the church. And we look at them and say, man, they are so perfect. Wow. I wish I could be as perfect as they are. And what we talk about is, we just talk about our successes all the time. And it's great to talk about successes, and we need to talk about successes. But we also need to realize that all of us struggle, including the people that we may have put in the glass cases. One of the things I love about this story being about Peter is that when you get to the book of Acts... Peter is wrestling with the plan God has for the church. In Peter's mind, everyone who's a Gentile needs to to become a Jew first and then a Christian. And God says to him, that's not exactly how I had this planned. And he gives Peter this vision and Peter says, oh, I see now. And he goes and he talks with Cornelius, this Roman uh, soldier. And the light goes on for Peter and he says, I get it now. And he's great with it. For a while. And when the pressure comes on him from people who say, Peter, what are you doing? Didn't we agree? You got to be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. And Peter says, oh yeah, that's right. And the pressure gets to him. And Paul sticks his finger in his face and says, what are you doing, Peter? And what I love about that is that here is Peter who has, makes great progress, but he's not perfect. He's far better. He has, we've see, he's seen Christ in him in victorious ways, but he's still on the journey. And a church that gives the impression that you have to be perfect to be a part of it is a pretty lonely place. And it's a place that breeds despair, not victorious Christian living. It's honesty, transparency, It's openness. It's recognizing that all of us are in this journey together and we're going to love each other and support each other and we're going to cry with each other and laugh with each other. It's that kind of atmosphere that gives us the courage to keep trusting Jesus. And as we trust Jesus, we become more like Jesus.
all along our journey. It's obviously difficult for me to know what you may be wrestling with this morning. What kind of guilt you may be feeling. Maybe you don't have any today and that's great. Praise the Lord. But if you are, hear Jesus' words of grace, of mercy, forgiveness, restoration, love. And let him maybe confront what you may have been denying and hiding. Let him restore you. And maybe even let one or two people in the church help you. So that we might be the people that God has redeemed us and created us to be. Holy Father, you know our struggle. Those things that we keep wrestling with. The guilt, the denial, berating ourselves. Father, today, give us a glimpse of what you want to do in our lives. And in this moment of silence, just speak to us. Say what you want to say and give us ears to hear. Father, begin your work of restoration in us, healing, joy. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. As we stand to sing the closing hymn, if, if you'd like to come to the altar and pray, if that you feel like that would help you in your journey today, the altar is always open. And I'd invite you to come and maybe even ask someone to come with you or we would be glad to pray with you. Let's stand as we sing together.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.